to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt West this evening. I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest one of them all, our good pal BFT. How are you doing tonight, man? Look, look, look. We're going to need to get a band, lots of brass, to do a theme song for us. I, I, that's what I've, I've come to the conclusion. It must be so. We're done. We're, so you're done with the Houston Oilers number one? transferring into bulls on parade you're done with it no 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 what i'm saying what i'm saying is is we need a we need our own so we have like all these transition points but you and i we need like this big marching band to come out and be like boom boom <laughs> boom and then it's battle red radio sunday 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 kind of thing yeah yeah That's all i see what you're saying instead of me doing the introduction we could just kick it off with talking uh, I can send some. I can send some emails out. I can try to make that happen. I don't know if I can do a big marching band, but I'm sure I can get some like you know techno, uh, '80s cocaine club music to set us <laughs> off. You know. Yeah, I'll I'll talk to the McCallum High School uh, band. Yeah, that'd person. Be, that'd be perfect. You should do that. Yeah, give us, I should like, do that. Give us a 15 second she, clip. You know. She, she she totally love it. I'm shaking my head rapidly <laughs> saying that she's awesome though. That's cool. Anyway. Uh, so we've seen dozens of incredibly dumb Texans losses over <laughs> all these years. Everything from Glover Quinn's fail Mary to Jadavian Clowney lunging off sides to Brian Hoyer's floater to the Rosencopter to Chris Brown fumbling into the end zone to Chris Brown missing game-winning game-timing field goals to Will Fuller's missed touchdown catch after David Johnson dropped a speed option earlier, earlier this year to Tom Savage's uh, insane game against the Titans in 2017 or the great pineapple man in the sky is still dancing to this day. Does Nick Farden, does, I'm going to call him Nick Farden, how about that? Does Nick Farden fumbling at the two-yard line in the pantheon of stupid Texans losses? It's up there. I mean, clearly it's up there. I, You know, I have named it uh, Nick Martin's Ground Ball of Dies. Is <laughs> how I've named it, uh, named it in my mind. Because it was just like, I mean, you know, it's got to be up there. It's up there in the Pantheon. I mean, you got the Q-tip, you got Hoyer's floater, Rosencopter. I mean, to me, it's like a top five way for a Texans team to lose a game. And what makes it extra special, Big Matt, and, and I, this is like extra special with all the special sauce, is that it was against the Colts. Mm-hmm. It seems like we do our – the Colts bring out the absolute worst in the Texans team. We're 9-29 and against the Colts as a franchise, which is amazing. And – to to do that against the Colts was like it was just special. Yeah, I, I'm surprised they've even beaten them nine times, and a lot of those, I guess, probably like five or six of those probably came with O'Brien as the head coach, even too. And I didn't realize that about all the dumb losses until I read your incompletions. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, there was a ton of these really stupid ones that have happened against this team specifically. And like, I don't hate any teams in the NFL, uh, but I hate the Colts with everything that I have. And like, I like a lot of their individual players, but. When it comes to the franchise and the owner and the fan base, they're just you know, disgusting mayonnaise people. Um, the one thing I do like about the Colts <laughs> they have going for them is how many neck beards they have on their team. Oh, like, my Glow God. Glow Jack Doyle, 
Um, I think even Chaz Green had one. Like they have like seven guys with neck beards. So I'm glad they've they've leaned into that and really do look like you know the the fan base itself and been able to represent their city in a very good way. I I have no follow up to that. Uh, so our first listener question was from at underscore necrodank underscore. Why is Lamarin snap the ball at Deshaun Watson's knees? Why doesn't he aim it where humans are more comfortable catching things? Um, I, I think what Nick Martin was worried about is he was worried about the inside penetration, and he was just trying to get that that uh, the ball away. And but you know, Nick Martin is who he is. He he's the mediocrity that sort of symbolized Bill O'Brien, and that's how he got the big contract. He's not worth the contract. Mm-hmm. So why didn't he do a good job snapping the ball? Well, it's Nick Martin, A, and B is the Indianapolis Colts. And <laughs> C, you know, the Texans are just – we talk about regression to the mean a lot, at least, you know, as I've been on the podcast mm-hmm. over the years. We talk about regression to the mean and how many one-score games we miraculously won over the past seven years. And and they're just coming back to haunt us. They're going to come back. And so it's just like we, the Texans have a certain flair, or like they said in World War One, a certain elan about the team, that they have this style about them that they have to lose in the most stupid way possible. And so why did Nick Martin snap the ball at Deshaun Watson's knees? It was inevitable. <laughs> I love that. You need to send me, you need to send that uh, word in the in our email thread so I can have that in. <laughs> And keep close to my heart. Uh, but yeah, that's a great point. So last year, Houston was 9-3, one-score games. This year, they're 2-5 and five in such contests. And I don't know, there's kind of this idea going around that like, well, this season's been very like, very surprised. Like nobody saw us coming. It's like, no, it, this season's not surprising at all. I mean, I know like I picked in the playoffs just because of how great Deshaun Watson is. And like he has been that. But really the difference is that the one-score wins that he won last year. Like last year when this sort of thing happened, he got kicked in the eye and still threw a touchdown pass. This year, Nick Martin snaps the ball too low, and uh, they fumble and they lose. And that's really the difference between last year and this year is, one, they play a tougher schedule, and then, two, they lost a ton of close games. But whenever it came to a team that had to get better this offseason and got actively worse to be able to you know stem off that regression by having a better team, better performance, they failed at that section of the offseason completely. And uh, and now here here we're at. And like, again, like this season, this team was more likely to go six and ten than go ten and six and make make that next jump to being like an AFC Championship score contender. Like being a playoff team was going to be a fight the whole way through. And again, like none of this is really like all that surprising, you know. It's not. It was again inevitable. It's the word I'm going to go back to. You can't get that, be that lucky for that many years and not eventually pay the karmic mm-hmm. price for it. And it, you know, and I use a word like karmic and and. It's math, dude. You know, it's it's math. Karma sounds better, it, though. I like the way yeah, we're all just energy and electricity, so I like karma. Yeah, and, and so it was going to happen, yo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I know when I wrote my season preview, I probably wrote, like, you know, 3,000 words about why this team is probably going to be bad, why they're stupid, everything, how dumb this offseason was, all the things that don't make any sense. I was like, but Deshaun Watson's really great. And he's been even better this year than he was last year. And again, like, he's not good enough to carry, like, as great as he is, he's not great enough to carry this, like, you know, slap hazard roster that's filled with bloated contracts and bad decisions, hasn't drafted well, hasn't developed players well at all to be able to carry them against the schedule that they played. Um, And then they lost the one score games they won previous years, you know, this year. And here's where they're at, you know, at four and eight instead of being like, 
you know, five and seven or six and six and being a possible playoff team. Yeah. And I, I just want to mention something that was caught by our good friend, uh, Rivers of Cown, because, you know, I love making me. I mean, it's just the mm-hmm. truth, you know, every once in a while <laughs> or pretty often, really, when it comes to to the Bill O'Brien era, uh, I've got things right. But let, let's this is a quote that he pulled out from an article that was done. Avery rec- or Avery commands OC Tim Kelly for opening things up for more post O'Brien. Dot dot dot. The offense was set up for somebody like Tom Brady, says Avery, referencing Bill O'Brien's time with Brady as an assistant, 2007 to 2011. But it didn't necessarily blend his amazing ability to run and escape out of the pocket, but also to be precise from within the pocket. He's one of the few people who can do both things. So. I said for years, mm-hmm. right, that that Bill O'Brien was trying to tight cast Deshaun Watson as Tom Brady. And when we so when we talk about Deshaun Watson, we have we have watched Deshaun Watson play football while like, okay, Bill O'Brien comes in. I'm gonna tie your left hand behind your back and you go do <laughs> oh wait a minute, you're doing too good. I'm gonna okay, you can only do it on one leg. We have you're scoring Bill... too fast. You can't right. score that fast. <laughs> we gotta score slow. We have to control the ball. We have to tire the other team out. Oh my god, that's what's been so frustrating. The, the most frustrating thing, and and adding that the more games we get into 2020, the worse the stench of the Bill O'Brien cor- corpse gets. I mean, mm-hmm. it just it smells that much worse because we see and Kiki Cutie's another nail in that coffin, so to speak. But look, you you know when we talk about Deshaun Watson tonight, and we talk about Kiki Cutie. These are all reasons to really hate and despise Bill O'Brien yeah. as the head coach of the Houston Texans because he has been hand, handicapping this team purposefully. He mm-hmm. did it for years. He got lucky. He, game four or five against the Colts in 2018. Oh my gosh, that Frank Reich makes that poor decision to go for it and forth down and overtime and mm-hmm. we we get that fourth down stop and we kick the field goal the Colts always haunt us i mean that's just the dead come truth but i you know I, I realize i'm kind of going a lot of different directions but envision a competent head coach over the past few years with deshaun watson playing the ball that he can and what he's been putting up this year I I'm blown away. Anyway, I've been babbling. Yeah, Let's yeah. Stop. I mean, that's a great point. And like, I I think like even as much as Tim Kelly, I think has opened the offense to these spread formations this year. Like they have just barely scratched the surface on you know, what Deshaun off Deshaun Watson offense can really look like. Because you know, really, we haven't seen it at all. We saw the jet sweep motion stuff in seventeen and bits of eighteen, or I guess mainly two thousand seventeen. They kind of went away with that yeah. eighteen until the sec- inside the end of the year. Whenever they kind of fell behind, they actually opened up the offense more so. And then we saw it some like that drag flat, you know, RPO stuff because he would keep it every once in a while and had him rolling out of the pocket. Uh, but aside from that, like he never really accentuated both Watson's like accuracy, deep throwing ability, and his ability to move in, move on the run. And that's what I love so much about these spread passing sets they've been running um, with Tim Kelly. But that being said, like, there's still a lot of things out there that they haven't really fully like you know scratched scratched and got deeper into. And uh, and you know, there's been so much talk too now about like future head coaches and this offense and what's gonna happen in the future with Houston. And like we were, you know, right about everything with this team. We were like, you know, two years early and so the results caught up to it. But it's a lot of stuff that we've been t- talking about on this show for 
you know, two, three years now about all these sort of things and how all these kind of cracks in the dam kept coming apart. And uh, the dam bursted, not last year, not the year before that, but it all burst apart this year. And, you know, I, Tim, whenever Tim was on the podcast, he was like, yeah, you're like, you know, you and BFT are right, but you guys are right just like two years later than whatever it is that you're saying. Like eventually <laughs> happens. And, and this has been the year, like everything we've been saying for, you know, two, three years now is kind of like fully, you know, coalesced together into, you know, this mess of a season. But like, it was, it was all up there, you know, like all the things that were ignored, um, have really kind of come into focus this year and they all kind of came into focus all at the same time. It's just, I'm tired of wasting top end Texans talent. I mean, we wasted JJ Watt. Yeah. You know, he's going to be done before this team's competitive again. And that's depressing. That's really sad. And it was, you know, we saw it. We talked about it. We've actively been saying, stop wasting his career. Mm -hmm. And so God, there are a few things that get me more fired up. I mean, seriously, there are a few things that get me more fired up than, than talking about JJ Watt and how Bill O'Brien just looked at him as a means to an end. And it really just yeah. upsets me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that goes back to not drafting a quarterback in 14 and taking Xavier Sufio and taking Tom Savage. And, and like, there's nobody left in that draft class for even first overall pick, which is kind of unfathomable, you know, even though that was only six, that was six years ago, but none of those players signed a second contract with the Texans with having a number one overall pick in that draft. And it's kind of believable um, how that whole sort of thing played out. Um, so going back to this game, our next question is from at Eddie underscore Hassan. And he said, did you notice throughout the game that Marm was snapping the ball low and Deshaun kept having to bail him out? Am I the only one seeing through, through that throughout the game today? I didn't notice that at all, Marm's snaps being low at all. But I'm watching again. I didn't necessarily see it, but uh, maybe it was low. I don't know. I just didn't pick up on that. Did you? He, uh, he's normally low. And I think that's done on purpose because you're hoping you're, you don't want to go over. Yeah. And so I think that's, I've seen that around the league in the past couple of years where it seems like a lot of these, those snaps are low in okay. the, in the uh, pistol in the shotgun. It seems like they're lower because the risk is lower. That makes sense. And maybe something too at the mesh point as well. When you have a running back in the backfield, you know, if it's lower, it's easier to kind of get up to a smaller running back than if it's higher, have it drop it down. Uh, maybe and they also been doing that weird snap I'm noticing recent where it's like they hold the ball like up at the top or kind of like flat even instead of just really like, yeah instead of just like holding like this they're like holding it up here and kind of doing like that with it it's weird if like uh, I'm trying like Cody Whitehair in Chicago tends to do that where he kind of holds it way up here at the top of it instead of like that so I don't know I'll have to watch that because that's you know again I played football you know we were wearing leather helmets mm -hmm. and stuff back when I played but man. All I know is my center could have, you know, he could have picked the coin off of a somebody's head from 50 feet away, and he was spinning it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember I played center freshman football because I was like, well, that's probably the easiest way I could play. But I was like 6'3 or 6'2 or whatever, and my butt was super high <laughs> up in the air, and I just could not shock and snap at all. <laughs> Let alone shock and snap and take a step at the same time. I think I played center for like through one week, and they're like, you can't do this at all. You gotta, you gotta get out of here. And Some then, people uh, just have it. Yeah, oh I couldn't do it at all. Um, the next question is from at Quibs47. Was this game or the Rosencopter game a worse loss to the Colts? Mm. I love this question. I, I absolutely adore this question. <clears throat> the difference is between the Rosencopter game, because the context is really important, mm -hmm. because if I remember correctly, we hadn't yet beaten the Colts yeah. when Rosencopter happened. <laughs> and, and, you know, 
Sage Rosenfels is really smart. He's a really fun guy. And it was more about feeling bad for Sage. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there is a comedic aspect to it, of course, but I felt so bad for Sage when that happened. <clears throat> and it was going to be win number one. So this one, Nick Martin's ground ball with eyes, as I'm calling it, whatever we want to call it. <laughs> um, is it a worse loss? This one doesn't matter. Yeah. It just doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. I, to me, the, 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 the Rosencopter mattered because it was beating the Colts the first time, Sage being a great guy, the backup coming in for Shop. Whether we win or lose against the rest of the season doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, like, if Rosenfels wins that game, who knows what happens with kind of Shop going forward as well, too. Because uh, there was actually like, some weird quarterback controversy right. last year between Rosenfels and Shop. And yeah, Shop eventually took over that job in the second half of the year and played really well. And kind of nixed that completely. But yeah, the Rosencopter loss has to be worse because, you know, like him just leaving his feet was such a, a ballsy move and <laughs> so unnecessary. And uh, and then like to, and it was also Peyton Manning in the Colts. Like they never beat Peyton Manning until he played in Denver, of course, but they never beat Peyton Manning when he was starting in Indianapolis in Indy. And uh, and so like that portion of it, you know, really hurt as well too. Because I mean, in, um, Manning just kind of like completely terrorized my entire childhood and I'll always hate him forever. Um, next question is from at Chillcuts Deep. Are Texans fans inherently masochists? Thanks. Yes. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> and look at the players who won't be able to draft in the first two rounds of 2021. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just generally saying sports fandom is inherently masochistic. Yeah, yeah. I just, it, it just is because look, there are 32 teams in the NFL. One wins the Super Bowl. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, it's, your chances of winning during your lifetime. The only, you know, New England Patriots fans, and I was talking to a friend of mine today, mm-hmm. we were on a conference call together and waiting and for other people to join in. I was ragging on him about being a Patriots fan. It's like, you don't understand what it's like to suck because the dude's like 30 yeah. years old. He doesn't know what it's like to suck as a football franchise. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it, it, th- those are the rarities. I think just generally speaking, there seems to be something special about being a Houston football fan <laughs> because, you know, growing up as a kid of the seventies and eighties and, and what the Oilers went through in those days and what the Texans have gone through. I think there seems to be a special taste of suck. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Oh I, I don't know. How, like we talked about when we went back and watched that, uh, lost to Buffalo in the 93, 94 game. I went back and watched all like I probably watched like six or seven Oilers games. And I was like, I have no idea how y'all even stuck around to side and watch the Texans whenever it came back around. You know, <laughs> I was like, I, I have no idea how you guys like football at all whatsoever. And uh, it's unbelievable that you know you'd be able to hang out and hang around as long as you guys have. Because um, like yeah, as bad as the Texans losses are, and as like miserable as some of this stuff has been, it's nothing compared to that Houston Oilers stuff. Like absolute, just like just tragedy every single year no and i'm I, i'm telling you right now the, the bills game wasn't the worst it was the mike reinfeld being called out of bounds in the 79 playoffs against the steelers right against the steelers was still worse because the bills thing uh, you could see that coming a mile away mm-hmm. but that Ryan reinfeld caught the ball the team was in the game all game playing just balling out and we got so screwed by that and it was I think that one hurt mm-hmm. worse. 
And for I, me. And I even think the, the loss to Denver the year before was kind of worse than that loss to Buffalo oh, yeah. in that way, too. Because it's, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Just like, even like the funniest part of that game, too, is Gary Kubiak was the kick holder and he fumbles the snap and like double catches and still is able to set it down and be able to have that kick kind of take off and then, you know, whatever else. Like history repeats itself again. Uh, but like I alluded to earlier, the only thing that matters the rest of the season, though, is Deshaun Watson operating out empty and spread sets. Like, that's the foundation the next good Texans team will be built around. Whenever it happens, it's going to be built around Deshaun Watson playing in empty formations with five wide receivers out there. And so despite losing Kenny Stills, Ronald Cobbs to the IR, and Will Fuller to a PED suspension, the Texans still played a lot of spread offense out yesterday by doing everything by having Jordan Aikens line up as an you know, extra wide receiver. Uh, by being like split out wide instead of like being in sort of like tight alignment at all. Uh, we saw a lot of Chad Hansen today or yesterday. We saw uh, Duke Johnson and David Johnson playing wide receiver a ton. We saw Kahali Waring play some wide receiver even. Uh, we saw a little bit of everything to uh, to make this keep happening. Were you surprised by Tim Kelly operating as many spread formations as he did today or yesterday? Yeah, and anybody who's listened to the show over the years knows that I I hate empty formations. I mean, I with a passion. But Deshaun Watson is just different. Yeah. And Kahale um, <laughs> Warren, all, what he gets like six snaps all game. <laughs> hey, that's, we're getting there. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. <laughs> oh, my God. You must have been like squirming on the floor for all six. I was sweating the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and it's not in the snaps that are impressive, Kahale. It's the sideline shots of his biceps. You're like, oh, my God. What in the world? Oh my gosh. Somebody get big mad at towel. Anyway. Um, it, it was great to see. I, it was lovely. It was like the anti Bill O'Brien. It, I, I just don't even. Yay. <laughs> well, what I love about Watson, the empty formations is that he, he's like, he's a very intelligent quarterback. And so he's able to like read the, and he's able to read the whole field, pick a pick a side. Like he's able to pick his matchups pretty well. And so it makes things kind of simple for him. It's like, Oh yeah, I have uh, TJ Carey against Brand Cooks, and he's running this route. And he has outside leverage, so this is an easy throw for me right here. Or then it even, and then if things aren't open for him, he has the speed where it's not like he's stuck in the pocket. He's able to take off and create with his legs, and he has more open field to run through um, with the field spread out like it is as well too. And like really, the only issue you run into is if you kind of get blitz where there's less than you have out there, and it's up to just hitting your hot routes and and taking off and watching break tackles make those plays happen as well too but yeah like it was a really great game plan from kelly i think they did a great job spreading out the entirety of the field uh horizontally stretching the zone and getting cutie enhancing some of those throws and the other thing they did really well too is find that spot in between the linebacker and the free safety in any zone coverage um for watson this game on throws between 7 to 10 yards short middle he's 5 or 6 for 42 yards on throws between 10 through 20 yards in immediate middle he was 7-9 for 116 yards. And those are kind of the two big spots where he consistently found open yards to Hanson and Cutie and even to Cooks one or two times there as well, too. Yeah, it's... How good is Deshaun Watson? I'm going to steal your the work that you did. Chad Hanson was 5 for 7 for 101 <laughs> yards. That's how good Deshaun Watson is. I mean, he they literally dragged a guy out of the stands and they put a uniform on him and he caught five balls on seven <laughs> targets for 101 yards. That's, that's, that's Watson. That's yeah, him working that middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him like using his eyes to manipulate safeties and like his, his, um, his ball placement created a ton of yards up to the catch. Oh like God. even for, for Hanson, it's not like Hanson got really open. He just found holes in the zone 
and there was nobody around. He just made like he had really solid hands this game. He didn't drop anything. He made a few tough catches, and Watson let him pretty well a few times too. Yeah, that one catch. <laughs> I gotta say that one catch where Watson was scrambling, <laughs> and Hanson started running straight toward the sideline. I was like, dude, no, go that way. Yeah, Not, yeah. Right, straight towards this. Because I started like my inner monologue. I have my inner monologue is like just hyperactive. It's all heck. Mm-hmm. It started going yeah, da, 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 da. <laughs> like <laughs> as he was running toward that. It was like I know what you, mean. you know, yeah, carnival that was, music. That was fun. Uh, so this first, <laughs> our next question is from at game over. Or it's at game underscore over underscore man underscore sixty nine of course. Uh, where does Chad Hansen fit in the hierarchy of wide, Texans wide receivers? So we have well, Kevin I, Walter, David Anderson. Are we counting Owen Daniels? That's from at Necrodang. Do we count Owen Daniels no. in that? No, you don't count count Owen Daniels in that. Um, so right now, I mean, right, he's kind of legend status, right? Uh, God, what was the guy's name? Uh, uh, Petorsic. Um, was this, I think it was Bill Petorsic. He was a Houston Astro. He went three for three in his only game as a Major League Baseball player. Okay. Thousand batting average. Three home runs or right. something? No, he's just three for three. Okay. Three singles. That's it. The only game he played, he hurt his back that game and never played another mm-hmm. Major League game. So three for t- three life. That's where Chad Hansen is right now. Five, seven, 101. It's the only thing he needs is, yeah, it's like three touchdowns out of that. So that's he's kind of like legend status right now. But he's not Kevin Walter. He's not David Anderson. He's just like this little mini legend niche kind of thing. So look, hopefully he, we get to see him. And he got put back on the practice squad today. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of Hanson never playing for the Texans ever again. Or never playing another game ever again. He just has this game. He has the jersey up in his office. And it just hangs there forever. And he always has that. And like I know the Texans are bad. And they're 4-8. And, eight and like this season's been lost you know, since they lost to Minnesota in Week 4. Uh, but like that being said, like we still watch, we're still fans of the team, and uh, we get at least like we still get things like this. We get the Chad Hansen game, we get Nick Martin's like absolutely stupid fumble. It's what make and, like again, being a Texans fan is usually this. It's usually a lot of seasons like this, and it's always good for us to dive back down to the abyss and understand how things like usually are for uh, this franchise. You know, right? I think I called him Chris. Yes, Chad Hansen. And what? More of a perfect name than Chad for a wide, wide receiver yeah, yeah. in 2020. I love it. Yeah, that's racist. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, he's not, he's, I think he's probably three you know, behind Walter and then David Anderson. But even Chad Hansen crossing, getting his name on the board after being the obscurity on the practice squad for so long, you know, that's probably the, the best thing that's come out of the Kenny Stills, you know, release and the Wolf Floor PED suspension and the Ronald Cobb IR hit. Was we got you know the Chad Hansen game and he gets to- he gets tossed into that ring of of white Texans wide receivers we'll never forget. Woo! Uh, the next one. So their QQ this game had eight catches and nine targets for under forty one yards, like he was two weeks ago, like we've seen before from legitimate bursts, great after the catch, great hands, a good relationship with Watson, and like my favorite thing about this game from was there his just like ability to find holes in his own coverage. There is this route where he just ran like a short. Um, the short curl route where he fit behind uh, the Colts linebacker number 50, who's not Walker, who's not Darius Leonard. It's not Zaire Franklin. They benched him after he was back against Tennessee. But like their four-string linebacker, for example, uh, he sat behind him. But like as he as the, the play-action fake pulled the linebacker down, Q just kind of like slowly like, like hid behind him and uh, reappeared like in a better hole behind him to be able to create that wide-open throw right there. 
Again, it's just like knowledge and flying gaps in space or whatever. And it's funny seeing him making plays like that because all you heard about the Bill O'Brien era was, well, he doesn't know the playbook. He's not coachable. We can't get him to do this. We can't get him to do that. And that was expectations. Like, well, why else don't you play a guy with any talent? And so like today was really, spe- or this game was really spectacular just because from a cutie perspective, just because he made so many like really intelligent plays with his routes or how he broke them off, how he fit his changes routes to maneuver around zone coverage to create space and and uh, make those easy throws for Watson. So that was really kind of beautiful to see in this game. That was probably my favorite part about this game as well, too, from the overall perspective of it. I don't know how many text messages I got on Sunday about Cutie alone. I mean, it was just balls. <clears throat> and once again, I'll just, look, I don't have really anything intelligent to add to that other than Kiki Cutie's play right now is yet another indictment of how incompetent and how weak Bill O'Brien was mm. as a head coach. Because as a person, he's, as a person as well, too. As a, yeah, it's just, it's pathetic. What was he doing so wrong that, that Cutie is putting up 8 9 141? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he better be like literally handing the ball <laughs> off after catching like two of those. Also, here you go. Ah, oh, look at this great catch I made. Oh, here you go, defender. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, he has to be fighting guys in the locker room even to to go through that to like not play as or play as low as he did. Like it came down in that Baltimore game when he fumbled, and that play was really interesting just because it really summed up the Texans like how all these little mistakes were kind of running their offense at that point in the year, where like they don't pick up the blitz re- well enough. So Watson has to double clutch and move out of the way, and then throw to Cutie, and then by doing that, it allows uh, Marlon Humphrey to come down make a tackle. But Cutie would catch that ball like a half second sooner if the pass protection was better. But because it, the throw gets elongated, it comes out a little bit later. Now he's hit right after the catch is made. Now he fumbles, and now you they get a touchdown out of it. And so it's a good example of those kind of little errors there for it too. But what's unfathomable to me is that not only did like not only did they sign Randall Cobb this offseason, gave him a big contract for him to play instead of Cutie. And Cutie's all playing the same, all playing the same offense, kind of playing like a worse offense in, in a way too. Um, without Fuller out there, how much better he's been able to produce than Randall Cobb has all season. And then not only that, but playing DeAndre Carter over him is so completely unfathomable, all in the name of like culture and tough, smart, and dependable, and you know, whatever else uh, that meant to Bill O'Brien at the time, too. And you know, it really is just unbelievable. And I, it, <laughs> I got nothing. I mean, it, it was so, it's all so stupid. It's all so stupid. It, the, Bill, I cannot say again enough and strongly enough that Bill O'Brien is an extremely weak man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Um, and and even then, it's like we have. It's not that we have been have. We've never even seen this sort of stuff from Cutie before. We've seen him have great games, great games against the Colts, even where he just called drag routes and took off after the catch and spread offenses. And yeah, you know, for whatever reason, that wasn't good enough for O'Brien. That wasn't how he thought the game should be played. Um, so Kahali Warden this week, he played six snaps. Oh. He had one target. He has two targets this year now. He almost caught a touchdown pass. He beat Kenny Moore <laughs> on a on a corner post, and he had the ball in his hands, and as he was carrying it inside his body, he should have carried it to his outside shoulder instead of his inside shoulder, and Moore was able to knock it away. But most importantly, like I mentioned earlier, there was like 15 like really hot bicep shots also. Um, so are we getting closer and closer to Kali Waring's first NFL reception? Oh, my, my. It's getting so hot up in here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's gonna happen. It's, it's gonna happen, and when it happens, Big Matt's gonna explode, and we should all celebrate it. 
I'm gonna get a bottle of champagne and I'm gonna have it in the, fr- in the fridge. <laughs> I'm gonna pop it as soon as he gets his first catch, and I can't wait for it. Oh my gosh! I here here here's what I'm gonna add about Warren is that we see how pathetic Bill O'Brien was about handling the Kiki Cutie situation. What makes us think that's not too? It, what makes us think Warren's not going to turn out the same? Mm-hmm. I mean, wh- where's our evidence that says that Bill O'Brien was right about Kahale Warren? Warren, ah, excuse me. He might come out and become the next Travis Kelsey. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> let's get excited about this dude because Bill O'Brien is proving to be like one of the absolute worst talent evaluators in NFL history. So these guys that have been in the doghouse, what could have happened with Jalen Strong? Yeah. Like what could have happened with, with Warren? What could happen with them? So, Look, let's get these guys out there. Every player who has ever been in Bill O'Brien's doghouse should be on the roster right now, and we should be testing them out and seeing how good they actually are mm-hmm. instead of instead of you know not hurting Bill O'Brien's little fifis. Yeah, instead of playing Darren Fells, you know, play Kahali instead. He needs more than six snaps. Also, bring back the guys that he got rid of. You know, bring Clowney back next year. Bring Julian Davenport back. Get Martinez Rankin back here. Get them all back here, uh, so we can have some fun and kind of you know. You continue to poke fun and see just how badly Miss you know, Brian not only manages roster and personnel decisions externally, um, but internally as well. But yeah, like I mean, Warren's such a great athlete, and uh, it's like I don't know, it's gonna happen, and I can't wait for that day to happen. I think I'm also going to get myself a Collie Warren shirtsy and rip the sleeves <laughs> off, and I'm just gonna wear it like you know every day all spring and next summer, you know, as uh, as we as we you know, rail into the 2021 season. I want you to understand how badly you've broken my brain that every time I see Christian Kirksey, yeah, formerly the Browns, now the Rams play, I think Kirksey, Shirtsey. There you go. So there you go. I like that. I like Christian Shirtsey. Uh, really, uh, the kind of the big problem that Texans had offense today, though, was the pass protection, especially on the interior. DeForest Buckner was a monster. Justin Houston had a really great interior interior stunt against Zach Fulton that created that safety um, against Deshaun Watson. You know, ties our problems against those like wide looping pass rushes that create some sacks from behind too. Nick Martin can block DeForest Buckner. Danico Autry had some really good pass rushes against um against Tyus Howard at the same time also. And really the only thing that stopped Houston offensively were just these these problems with the pass protection and the blitz pickup specifically. And that kinda of hurt him this year as well too. Uh so whenever it comes to the interior of the offensive line with Max Sharp being got benched after the first drive, it was awful. He come he, first drive he can't make a block on the outside zone. Uh, doesn't pick up the blitz correctly whenever Kenny Moore blitzes. Creates a DeForest Buckner free Sean Watson. Gets benched, and then he seesaws with, with Kel Mench the rest of the game. You have Martin at center. You have Fulton at right guard. With all the issues that they have on the defensive side of the ball, can the Texans upgrade the interior next season, or do they have more pressing needs? <laughs> God. You, you know, I'm speechless. I really am. Sharping wasn't even the worst guard on the field for the Texans. Yeah, I think Fulton was worse today. <laughs> I think Fulton was terrible. Just because the pass protection is just like these are eleven yard losses instead of missing a run block, you know. Oh my gosh! And I saw a Colts blogger today say something on Twitter like, "Like you literally chose the worst guards to be on the field." Sharping sure screwed up, but he's not that bad. I just we we have. We have a major coaching problem on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Devlin has been terrible for years. That not every per, every free agent we sign gets worse. Everybody who leaves gets better. 
everybody who leaves gets better. So ben Jones I, is I, so good right now too. Like I love Ben Jones is a sassy daddy, and I love watching him right now in Tennessee. <laughs> like watching what he did to Nico Autry, or not to Nico Autry, but uh, but Grover Stewart. Watching what he did against him the week before, and then seeing how Grover Stewart played against Houston this week, it's incredible. Like the difference, like he had against Houston's offensive line compared to Tennessee. And I think like Jones makes only a little bit more than Nick Martin does also. Like, their contracts are pretty comparable. They're comparable. Yeah, they're comparable, definitely. Yeah, and that was just depressing. And Laramie Tunsil didn't have a great game. So, yeah, we have to upgrade the offensive line. I mean, you can look at almost every level on the Texans to say it needs to be upgraded. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and going back to this too, I think this is another example too of like the O'Brien thing where it's like it's it's the Devlin uh, part of this like he's gonna be gone next year and so can a better offensive line coach like can he teach this team how to block outside zone for example or run run scheme for example can he get more out of sharping or uh or fulton or martin i think fulton's gone for sure but can he get more out of howard as a, like howard can't run block at all can he teach him how to do that can he get anything out of uh, sharping after he showed himself to be a good pass blocker his rookie year and you know, he just made so many mental mistakes in the playbook this year and has been lost all year. That really has been a lost season for him too. So I think that's another kind of factor into this as well, where I think you have to replace Fulton. I think you could look at um, replacing Mar as well too if you can find something cheaper. But like when I think about the offense line next year, I think one of the things that really kind of hurts my feelings was, was a Charlie Heck pick because he was a developmental swing tackle. And if you need offensive line help, you take a guard you get him strong this year. You teach him, you know, you get him in your system. And then hopefully next year he can take over full 10. You're making that pick ahead of time. Whenever you already have Roderick Johnson, who's a perfectly good swing tackle. Um, and they didn't need to make the heck pick. I think heck could be like an okay third tackle because he was an okay left tackle at North Carolina's junior year. Or at right tackle, he was okay. He was a disaster left tackle. Um, but that being said, like that pick wasn't worth where they took him and the decision that they made whenever they could have got some help at the interior. Um, and kind of had a, a, a succession plan for full Tenari built in. So, so let's say you're a head coach coming in for your Houston Texans, and you look at that offensive line, but you look at three guys, really. You look at Sharping, uh, Howard, and Tunstall. And, Sharp, and Sharping's a guy, too, where it's like, he's not a for sure thing yet. You're looking at like right. a position battle with him, too, unless you can get him strong enough to play guard, you know? Right. So, so what's your run scheme with those three guys? Outside zone. Well, Howard yeah. can't block outside zone, though. But I think like with, with Tunsil, Martin, and Sharping, that's an outside zone offensive line. But then whenever you factor in Fulton, who can't block that at all, and Howard, who can't block that at all whatsoever, then you kind of really lose that. And I, don't, I, could, I really could imagine Howard becoming like a good outside zone blocker, you know? I don't know. He just, his feet he are so bad, speed. and yeah. the second level blocks are so bad, and he's so wide, and, and uh, so I don't know. I just don't really, I don't really buy it for him. Once again, this is the this is the disconnect between having the personnel to run the offense that you want to run, mm-hmm. and just grabbing guys because they're tough, smart, dependable. Yeah, because he he blocked uh, Tim Kelly in the hotel room at the NFL draft, you know. <laughs> because they were at the whatever senior bowl together. Yeah, yeah. But oh I mean, Howard's God. better than I thought he was going to be, and he's become like a really good pass protector just because he's so wide, you know, and there's some technical stuff he can pick up, but he's made dramatic improvements as a pass protector, but the run blocking thing has been a problem. And again, this was a team that wanted to run the ball this year and always wants to run the ball and uh, to have a bad run blocking offensive line. He's 32nd DVOA um, is again, another example of, of Bill O'Brien's failures. Uh, so defensively, there's a lot of T.Y. Hilton for Indy. He had eight catches on 11 targets for 110 yards, one touchdown over his career against Houston. He's played 17 games. <laughs> 93 catches, 150 targets for 1,647 yards. 
Uh, 11 touchdowns, the second most he has against the Titans with six and 17.1 yards to catch. This is from at Zenofon212730. Should T.Y. Hilton be required to pay child support for every Texans defensive back since 2012? If so, can that money offset the salary cap? <laughs> I, I, so when I saw this question, I was just like, oh, that's so perfect. I love it. I mean, the, the, the Houston Texans have turned T.Y. Hilton to a Hall of Famer when he plays against us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what it is. Not only a, a, a Hall of Famer, like we're talking a top-level Hall of he's Famer. He's like DK Metcalf against them. He's like, oh, he's like Jerry Rice. Yeah. So, um, wow. Well, and what's funny about this year's <laughs> performance, too, for Hilton is that he's been, like, the problem with him, and he got hurt. And all Philip Rivers can throw him is crossing routes because Rivers doesn't have the arm strength to throw the downfield vertical routes for him. Because like Hilton's not a possession vertical receiver, and you know Rivers throws those big like hanging passes where you have to where the catch point. Hilton doesn't really tend to do that at all. He's caught a few corner routes, but Rivers is the worst quarterback for T.Y. Hilton. And oh uh, then he gets the play against the Houston Texans, and of course he has you know, hundred plus yards and a touchdown, and has finally has this breakout game. It took twelve weeks and. All that really meant was that he he had not played the Houston Texans just yet. So yeah. it was beautiful. Philip Rivers is is entering his Case Keenum stage of his his throwing career, where everything comes down with the ice on it. I mean, he's been like that for a few years now, but it's oh, yeah. like I don't. Know, it's funny because he can throw, it's worse he can throw five. He can throw five routes really well, and then when you add any pressure to it, and and the, the, like the dumb interceptions that he has, it kind of like balances itself out from him being like you know good to to stupid to whatever he is right now but he's like i don't know the 11th 12th best quarterback right now yeah but he's sliding down yeah. i mean it's it, he's all anticipation he's all i've been in the nfl for like mm-hmm. 17 years and i know where guys gonna be and only i've got that in me yeah kind of throws that's what he's throwing right now i mean some of those throws that he was throwing with anticipation were amazeballs i love that corner route he throws it's beautiful mm-hmm. like he throws the best corner around the league and went from hunter henry to mo alley cox to whoever else this year. The weird thing too with them, I think that their passing game is Michael Pittman being a big, like short yardage, like crossing route receiver. And like, he's six, four and he's supposed to be that big vertical guy. And that really hasn't panned out. Instead, they've been using uh, like Michael Johnson from UT. who's like a fifth year guy. who's a practice squad player. Who's been like their only vertical deep passing threat this year, which has been weird. Um, so Watt had four tackles for loss, one sack, one quarterback hit. And he's been dramatically better since the new England game. Um, has this and like for the, Beginning part of the year, he was taking plays off, wasn't very good against the run, couldn't beat, you know, any right tackles at all, wasn't providing much of a pass rush. And like since that New England game, he's really turned it on. Has his recent performance changed your stance at all on what he should should do with him next offseason? I mean, it's a tough question because I don't know what team's going to give up for him. I don't think it's going to be enough. But uh, what I see, what I see on the field is I see JJ Watt looking like it's 2015 and playing like it's 2015. And Oh my God, it is so incredible. He is just, I just, he's blowing everything up. I mean, he's there, there are, there are times I cannot believe he's making the plays that he's playing that he makes mm-hmm. at this stage of his career. There is yeah. a, an end around that he got out there um, and just blew the play up. And uh, well, he David clowny did. <laughs> He hit him. Hey, he totally. He couldn't make the tackle, but he fed him over to uh, AJ Moore, whoever actually made the play or whatever. But he did even clown. He did. Oh my gosh, he was amazing on Sunday mm-hmm. again. Yeah, I I think uh, I think the way he's played recently, 
it'd be you could not trade him for a third round pick at all the way he's played recently. Um, I I still think if you get offered a second, you may have to consider it now. But even then, like before, a second's like if you're offered a second, I would think you'd have to do it. But now the way he's played, playing, like I think you'd be better off probably trying to turn his one year contract into a three year contract and give him like nine million a year instead of fifteen point five million a year. Because um, again, like you can, I think that the best thing for him to do in the future is transition him to a pure pass rush role. Uh, and then just try to get some pass rushing talent around him where he's not being double teamed and is carrying the entire pass rush on his own like he's had to do this year for Houston as well too. Uh, the banana stand for the Texans defense this week was Chaz Green because the Raven Clark got hurt. He tore his Achilles. Um, and I was always been really oh, interested. Damn. Yeah, I was interested in watching him play because the Colts took him a third round pick. Some his rookie year, he wasn't ready yet. And then he's the guy who got benched and you know he was replaced by Costanzo and Brain Smith. It was a swing tackle, but it was still picked pretty high and like showed some potential his rookie year. And he finally got a chance to play. And he he was playing well um for Costanzo, but then he got hurt and they replaced him with Chaz Green. And Watt got a sack against him and uh Jacob Martin got a sack against Chaz Green as well too. Um that being said, Winnie Merciless got the majority of the snaps against Chaz Green this game, which was another big failing by Anthony Weaver out of a lot of the failings he's had this year and the decisions he's made, where like you had to put Watt against Chaz Gray. I know you, I know you don't like this idea of Watt uh, going against the blind side pass protector because left tackles are better or whatever, but to not give him more reps against Chaz Gray is unfathomable. But only that, by playing not playing Martin and Greenard enough against Chaz Green, they really kind of hurt them um, this game as well too because that was where their their biggest hole was on any defense. And Houston throughout this game didn't exploit it you know, often enough or well enough at all whatsoever. Whitney Merciless is so done. I mean, he might as well be out there with a walker with tennis balls <laughs> at this point. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I want to add, and, you know, look, we can talk. We, we've talked about this, that we don't match up well defensively often, that we always stick J.J. Watt on the right tackle because that's what we feel like is the best thing to do. But all I know is that sack that Jacob Martin had is he made Green look like he was sitting still. Mm-hmm. I mean, how fast is Jacob Martin? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was a good, yeah, that was was... A good chop rip, you know. Um, totally. And they met like he just is it, trying to find that balance of not having him rush on the interior. Like Weaver is completely ruined his year this, this season by having him drop back in pass protection so much, rushing him on the interior against guards. And uh, and then the third thing is also not, not only not even playing him enough at all, but whenever you play him, like you're, it's, it's like all or nothing. It's like he plays the entirety of the drive and he's playing these rundowns and getting washed down and getting trapped and knocked out of play because he's not a good run defender at all. And then now by playing him that often, you bench him because he can't stop the run, but then you don't use him whenever you should be using him on obvious pass downs. And it's just like Weaver has completely messed up his third season. And so it's me interesting to see what happens with Martin next year. Yeah, and also one other thing I want to say after watching a play on Sunday was you remember when some certain bald, sexy blogger was begging the Texans to sign Justin Houston? I vaguely remember that. Yeah, it's like a one-year yeah. deal sort of thing. He's been a awesome two-year deal. Season. Yeah, you you put him in those the situations on third down, let him get to the quarterback. He's still elite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when and like it's it's also with Fort with Buckner being there and pushing them like. Their pass rush is just it's five deep, you know, and right. um, and they really they really push the pocket a lot and uh, and force the quarterback to like get back outside and step them up deeper to open up things on the exterior as well too. And yeah, like Houston's had a really great year again this year. 
And he, again, like him being like the one B pass rusher instead of the one A pass rusher, mm-hmm. or the number one, he's one B now, has really uh, helped his season up this year too. Anyway, he's, that good just, against, it just, he's good against the run also. It just frustrates me because these are the kind of signings that we could have done a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. With Watts on uh, his rookie contract. Oh my gosh. You know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, those, that's probably something that you had to make whenever you have a quarterback on his rookie contract and they didn't do it. For me, it was Sheldon, exactly. R- Sheldon Richardson was the guy I really wanted, and uh, they didn't call him up at all or anything. He's been very good in Cleveland this year. And he was very good for Cleveland last year as well, too. And we had the space to do both. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Good times. Uh, there are, next question is from at Smith Grandma. If Jacob Maher is good at rushing around the edge and when he merciless is bad at rushing around the edge, should Martin then get more rushes at the edge position? Also, same question about co- pass coverage, run stopping, and setting the edge. <laughs> yeah, Merciless didn't do any of that. I mean, he, he, right now he's basically on the team because he supposedly can set the edge against the run. He's not even doing that anymore. Well, and it's him, uh, like, it's him extending, and then the running back just runs around because he can't run, extend and get off and make any plays at all anymore. So, I mean, who cares? Put Martin out there because he's not going to do any worse. Mm-hmm against the run so screw it just put the guy who can occasionally get to the yeah, quarterback just have him and greenard play out there give them both yeah. shots to play it yeah i mean they're both going to fail at setting the edge against the run but how's that going to be different from what merciless is doing yeah and they really kind of martin they kind of stopped playing after the pittsburgh game and they kept running trap at him over and over again he couldn't deal with it oh my. and then after that game they kind of stopped playing him and now he's worked his way back into playing a little bit more often but yeah he has, he's not playing enough at all um, next question is from at your mom. Legit question I need an answer to. Why can't we have nice things? And Smith Grandma asked us the same thing last week. And you know, we're Texans fans, and this is how it works. You know, we're professional Texans writers and, and podcasters, and this is just how it works. You know, yeah, because Cal McNair is a fail son, because Bill O'Brien was kept around three too many years, three mm-hmm. plus too many years. That's why we can't have nice things, is because the management, the ownership of the Texans sucks. Yeah, well, we have one nice thing right now, at least. At least we have one. Yeah. yeah. We have two. We have JJ Watt and we got Deshaun Watson, and that's about it. Yeah, that works out. Uh, our next question is from at Shandy Ben. Am I the only one who saw Whitney Merciless trying to chase Mo Ali Cox? Trump has a turtle flailing on his back, stuck in my head. And yeah, I think Merciless uh, being a turtle stuck on his back flailing is a very good uh, description of, of him right now. He reminds me of like a that's... dinosaur, like a big Brontosaurus or something. Apart. <laughs> Just so slow. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, what a, and I love the way you phrased the question. So well done, Shandy. Uh, next question is from at Chili Cuts Deep. Also, how perilously thin is the Texans' back seven depth chart heading next season? After Cunningham, Jacob Martin, Justin Reed, I have a hard time figuring out who should be back. Roby, obviously, uh, but who knows what the team thinks of them at this at this point? And so this kind of leads me to another question: Do you buy this idea, of Tyrell Adams, starting at inside linebacker next year? No. I'm not. I'm not really buying this idea of him as a starter as well either. It's a lot of tackles where he's like four yards, you know, deep up the field. And Indy's interior run game uh, was really great this week as well too. They had trouble on the edges, getting some stuff out there, but they really ran the ball up the middle well. Yeah, what he doesn't, he doesn't stop uh, runners at the point of attack. He gets dragged. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know it's if I've ever seen like... a linebacker. Yeah, he's, he gets dragged for three or four yards after every tackle mm-hmm. or every attempt to tackle i mean he might bring the guy down but he's gonna have to charge the ball carrier like a taxi fee for those extra four or five yards so no he, he's not he's he's too small he's too slow no yeah i agree with that uh so 
but right now it looks like, well, you have Cunningham, an outside linebacker. I would guess you have Martin, you have Greenard, whatever they're going to do with those, with those two guys. You have, Ju- you have Justin Reed, and then you have Bradley Roby. I would expect Roby's to be back next year because it's really hard to get rid of him with the current cornerback talent that you have. You need a second outside cornerback. Um, I guess Eric Murray is still there, whatever, <laughs> as a third safety. Because I, I think you can cut him next year, though. Uh, so he probably won't be back. Lion Johnson Jr., I have no idea if the next coaching staff is going to play him at cornerback or keep him at strong safety. He's been bad at strong safety, and I still don't think, like last week, he was very good at his skin either. He's just so bad in coverage, and it's not like he's a great tackler at all. Um, you know, he's he's been a pretty good blitzer, but it's like whenever you have a free rush at quarterback and taking that path, you know, is that the hardest thing in the world at all to do? Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do with him at all. But yeah, like this entire... I mean, I think going to next offseason, it's re-cut, save money by cutting David Johnson, Brandon Cooks, rework the skill position group kind of internally, and then put everything you can in the defense and just try to get as many bargain bin kind of free agent finds that you can and try to go from there and then hope that you get some more internal development uh, with Blacklock, Johnson Jr., John Reed, and Omenyahu, and Jacob Martin, and Greener, and hopefully there's enough talent that you can scrape out from there to maybe be like the 20th best defense in football. Jesus. <laughs> we're gonna do our best to be the 20th best yeah that's the world we're wow. stuck in right now yeah uh how, how, not a winning campaign my man <laughs> <laughs> houston Sorry. texans football 2021 we're gonna try to be the 20th best defense and then help deshaun watson score 34 points a game uh how funny was eric murray's tackle for a loss where he's flexing <laughs> and then he gets a 15-yard face pass penalty immediately after that oh my god what a horrible signing. Just, just uh, you know, at least have a guy put something on tape to give you hope that he's going to do something. But he didn't have the tape. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the pedigree. Who the hell thought Eric Murray was the guy to sign for that much money? And you let, oh, my God. I, yeah. Out of all the signings that we did, only the Whitney Merciless one was worse. Like, like just markedly from day one was worse. But Eric Murray was just, oh my gosh. Yeah, and for him too, it's like the opportunity cost of it. It's not even just like they gave Eric Murray that, but it's they didn't do anything at all to fix their defense, and they really kind of felt like the missing piece their defense was Eric Murray, you know? Like that was their only free agent addition from last year um, that they added. And really kind of like what has really been frustrating for me this year is whenever I watch the Patriots play, I watch Adrian Phillips out there, and he got like a two-year, like $5 million contract. And uh, and watching him be like, oh yeah, like smart teams don't give Eric Murray you know seven hundred million dollars a year. They uh, they sign Phillips instead and get much more production from a player like that who's had some injury in- injuries before. Yeah, and if Phillips balled out for San Diego before that. I mean, yeah, he, he had just hurt. Was it? Yeah, he was badass at UT. My mm-hmm. goodness. Yeah, and, and Verrett's a good example in San Francisco. He's having a great year as a as a cover three corner who has just been hurt his entire career even going back to his first year at San Francisco last year. And it's just like, those are what you want to use that money on. You don't want to give an unproven player who's a third safety, who's a bad slot cornerback, who doesn't do anything well at all, um, that much money. And I think it also comes like some of those O'Brien decisions too, kind of comes from the fact of like, you're trying to be a head coach and a GM and there's not enough time to do both jobs. And so it's like, oh, I got three weeks to try to figure out which free agents to target. And it's like, uh, you kind of cram before a test. You're like, I got to the Eric, I got to the M, and I guess Murray's the best guy from what I got here, you know. And then you just kind of go with that from there. And he started at L. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think Charles Emmanuel has been kind of interesting lately because he had two run stops as a defensive end. Like Houston play off four three against Indy, and so I think like the sweet spot for him is to be a like a four three defensive end on rundowns, and on passing downs be a three technique or a four I, and rush on the interior on pass downs. And like he's just kind of a bizarre player in that in that regard. Like he's really in between a defensive tackle and a defensive end, and I think he's just trying to get him more in the in the role that's suited for him um, on the downs that he's actually out there. Yeah, he's uh, the guy who comes back to remind me of him. And this is going to be little Matt would throw things at me is. um, Oh, my God, I just whipped on his name. 2005 draft Travis Johnson Mm -hmm. is who he kind of reminds me of because he's kind of got the quicks and he's kind of got the beef, but he doesn't have both. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but what makes him different is that he's able to get to the quarterback. He's able to set the edge kind of mm-hmm. occasionally. He's uh, really he's, arms too. Yeah. He's, I loved him at UT. Mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely adored him at UT. I thought he was a good playmaker. I I think he has a future. Yeah. I th- I mean, I think so. I was wrong about him whenever Houston drafted him. Cause I watched him as like a, a defensive in edge rusher. I was like, this isn't going to translate to the fellow way he mm-hmm. plays. But I never thought of him being used as an interior pass rusher. And like his hands and his length have been very valuable there. And so, again, this is another example of just Anthony Weaver not getting guys in the best spot um, for them to produce. And I think Omenye, who's another good example of that, he's been playing better lately. Uh, but it, like they, they had benched him to begin the year because he was so bad against the run. And their 3 4 defense just like completely dreadful that he got benched because of that. And then you get a lot of Carlos Watkins, you get a lot of PJ Hall. And uh, with Hall's injury, we've seen more Omanyehu. I think it's worked out for him so far, too. Yeah, one thing about Omanyehu, I'm going to or a couple of things, is dude is smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dude is bright. And the other thing is, is, is he's, his work ethic is off the charts. Um, I don't hear as much as I used to about guys from the UT program yeah. as I did back in the day. But everything I heard about him was just like off the charts. And I just, I'm kind of excited about him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, look, the Texans have not had a good interior rusher since Antonio Smith. Like, it's been that long. And, uh, like, they haven't had anybody who's provided that oh sort of production God. there. And so, like, yeah, but they can get Omanyehu, like, you know, giving him the spot where he has, like, six sacks a season and 20 quarterback hits from the interior spot. Like, that would be, compl- like, completely game-changing for this defense that hasn't had that. And, that, and again, it doesn't have to be, like, the box score production, too, at that position. It's about collapsing the pocket, though, and be able to get that quarterback to move backwards and be able to open up stuff for your edge brushers, especially someone like Jacob Martin, who's, who can be so incredibly just, like, dreadful for an offense, being a big, deep, like, edge rusher with huge, like, loops around because of his speed. And if you get that working together, you know, there's something there. But, again, it just hasn't really kind of come to any sort of fruition this year for him. I just got to say, when I saw Martin get that sack, I was like, look at that ass move. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a quick. And that rip, oh my God, it was art. Well, whenever his moves come together, they're beautiful. But again, the problem with him is that like, whenever the offensive line gets their hands on him, he can't do anything yeah, after that. He can't do you know? But like, whenever they come to, like he had this rip against, I think, Irv Smith in the Minnesota game. Like, oh, it's, um, it's unbelievable how beautiful that is. I brought a tear yeah. in my eye. Um, it's like that gif of the Native American one tear going down his eye. That was how I felt uh, <laughs> watching that Martin r- rip against the, against Irv Smith. And again, just like whenever it comes, it's comes together. It's just a bolts of lightning. But again, like there's so many rushes where 
as soon as the offensive lineman gets his hand on him, he doesn't have an answer. And that's something to work out in the future. But I think it's just more about getting him out there and getting him in better spots, you know, and not having him, like, rush the three technique and drop into hook zones over and over again. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we have some listener questions tonight. The first one's from at mrios281. What is it going to take to get Jack East refired? Also, how can we get Bill O'Brien hired by the Dallas Cowboys? When I saw that question, you know, the, you know, the, the thing is, is that I'm kind of a history geek and, and, and whenever I think of Ras, uh, of Jack Easterby, I think of Rasputin mm-hmm. and I just can't help disassociate those two things at this point. And I don't think that anything gets Easterby fired. I don't, I yeah. think he's, he's like got this kind of control over the McNair family at this point in time. And it's, which is just depressing to think about. I don't think he goes anywhere. I mean, you know, it took a bunch of crown princes to kill Rasputin, and we're not going to do yeah, that. It took like 12 and, bullets, and he had to be poisoned. And, poisoned, and a, yeah. Complete revolution and everything else to kill him. You know, it's mostly hyperbole, of course, but yeah, but that's, yeah, that's what the story is. He's not going to go anywhere. What's going to take to get O'Brien hired by the Cowboys? Well, it's not going to happen this year. I'm really, truly interested to know who is going to screw up their franchise, their college team by hiring Bill O'Brien. I am absolutely fascinated to know who's going to make that fatal mistake. It's going to happen, too. Somebody's going to it hire is. him next year. He's not going to take any time off. He's going to try to get a job next year. I hope he goes to Jacksonville. I, that would be great. That would be two more wins a year. I, I think, you know, I actually, you know, I don't think the Jets are the worst spot for him just because the Jets see some sort of normalcy to their franchise. And I think O'Brien can, like, provide some sort of, like, like like mediocreness enough that could help them out in a in a weird way, but yeah, I mean, so it's it's not anything. You know what you're gonna get. You know what the pinnacle of it's gonna be already. And if your goal is to win a championship, there's no reason to sign him at all. But I will say, if he goes to the Jets, and the story has been, and I don't get it. Oh my God, don't you people watch tape? Is it Sam Darnold supposedly is mm-hmm. good at throwing on the run? Well, he's really horrible actually at throwing on the run. Yeah. I mean, the numbers show that out. If there's a good matchup on quarterback and what, what Bill O'Brien expects that his quarterback is Sam Tom Donald. Brady, that's not a that's not a bad match. Yeah. Well, and, and Darnold, too, he he's weird for me to watch because it's like 95% of it's awful. But then he makes like yeah. 5%, 5% of the plays he makes like, oh, there's something there. You know, it's just like, can you get that 5% to be like, you know, 80-20, you know, something along those lines. and. 95.5 is a pretty steep spot to crawl out of, you know? Yeah, I don't think. I, I, I hated Darnold coming out. Yeah. And the whole the whole thing that he throws well on the run, I don't get. He's like a 40% completion rate throwing on the run. Hmm. It's crazy bad. <laughs> uh, next question is from at Bobby Vergara. And he asked, why didn't the Texans fire Bill O'Brien last year? And this podcast, we're famous uh, for saying, I know personally I said the Texans should fire O'Brien after the Colts lost in the wild card round. You wanted him fired after the 2017 season, you know, and now it's like, it's, it's fun to hate Bill O'Brien, but you know, we've been doing it for three years now. You know, we spent, we spent a good chunk of our time talking about how bad he is and how stupid he is. And uh, now it's fun to pile on him and everybody can do it because the, the results actually matched what, um, the win-loss record changed to the point where they can do that and not feel any scorn at all. So, I don't know. 
we said it two years ago, but why didn't they fire him last year? I guess it's because they went 24-0 in the, in the divisional round game. And even then, that was such a great indictment of his failures as a head coach by going up 24-0, by making the in-game decisions that he made. Not having a play call in fourth and one at that spot is, uh, it, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's all just so completely unbelievable looking back on it, even you know a year later. That's peak Bill O'Brien, right? Not having that play call in fourth and one. I, I look at it this way. When even the baby-eating Sister Fiskers of Tennessee are able to to fire uh, Mike Malarkey, Mike Malarkey, thank you, and to see, and when he gets to the playoffs, they're able to see that there's nowhere else that he's going to take the team. And Cal McNair, Bale's son, and once again, I want to stress that the Houston Texans right now are being run by a fail son who has no success for himself, who has never had to work for anything in his freaking life. That's who's running the Texans right now. Mm-hmm. That's why he held on to Bill O'Brien because he has no idea what he's doing as the owner. Yeah. So that, that's it. Yeah. The, the tight, the, the BESFs, better management than the Texans. That's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it kind of comes down to like, you know, football gets so wrapped up in a win loss record and they play a 16 game season and a win loss record usually sometimes isn't the best, um, indicator of performance you know i understand like that's what matters in the end is how many games you win how many games you lose but it isn't the best indicator of performance for some teams and the texans bill Bryan were a really great example of that last year was you know 2018 was as well too 17 was um and o'brien consistently was able to win those close games and and do just enough at the end it eventually came back and got him but yeah like that that example of it is why he probably stayed around though it's just because well we went to the playoffs we you know we have a lot going on right now we have a good team um, you know, we're gonna we have a lot of exciting things coming up. You know, going back to what they said in their press conferences last spring that we joked around about, and uh, and none of that kind of happened this year. And at least he had the courage to fire him after an own four star, and he wasn't able to weasel his way into like some like you know five game winning streak at the end. Be like, I think we got it. We finally pulled it together. We know what we need to do next year because that was my biggest fear after uh, the team start zero and three and zero and four. Yeah, and the other reason is Jamie Roots. I mean, let's yeah. just be real honest about this: is that Jamie Roots came out. He said the quiet parts out loud. We don't care how the Texans do as long as we got asses in the stands. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 his entire goal, raison d'etre, was to, God, my French is so bad, is to decouple the performance of the Texans to the attendance and how much money is yeah, being yeah. spent. Look, he's a big part of this as well. The Houston Texans are not going to be a true professional football franchise until Jamie Roots is gone, until Rasputin is gone, and until Cal McNair, if he cannot make those decisions to get rid of those guys, is gone. And I cannot say this strongly enough. If your means to the end is incorrect, with Roots it is, with Rasputin it is, with McNair it is, Mm -hmm. then we're not going to succeed as a football team. We're not. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's like, with Roots as well, too, it really, you know, you know who loves football? Texans love football. You know who loves football? The city of Houston. You know how easy it is to sell out the t- sell out games and make money with a football team in Houston. It's really, it's extremely easy. You kind of walk your way into you know, millions of dollars a year. A year, it's like having like a, a sunscreen stand at the beach. You know, it's right there. It's it's what everyone wants to do. Everybody loves the game, and so it's not a hard team to make money out of. Uh, it doesn't take an NBA to to do that let alone that at all whatsoever. Um, the next question here was from at Eddie underscore Hassan. And he asked, who is the worst contract on the team? 
David Johnson, Randall Cobb, Eric Murray, Whitney Merciless, Nick Martin, Zach Cunningham, Bernard McKinney, uh, Nick Martin again, Kymie Fairbairn, or Laramie Tunsil. Who has the worst contract? Oh, my God. I just want to say one more thing about Jamie Roots. Is he, mm-hmm. What he said was he said that, you know, when, when uh, Bud Adams left Houston, they weren't selling out the Astrodome. See, we sell out every game. What he doesn't realize is the context is that the city of Houston hated Bud Adams with a passion. Yeah. And that they were, it was a deliberate, you know, oh middle God. finger to Bud, to Bud Adams the last couple of years. Because he already announced he was going to pull the team out. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. You're, you're part of the problem. I have no <laughs> respect for you. I hope that Durga, somebody like turns on this podcast. Jamie Roots, you're terrible. <laughs> you are, and I, I'm, I, we don't cuss on this podcast, but believe me, the next 18 words out of my mouth would be cuss words if I could. Be a Jerry Springer show. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, throwing chairs at Jamie Roots, throwing mayonnaise at him, coming out of a dog suit. <laughs> Just oh my gosh, this Jamie Roots is like the kind of he's a guy who comes from money. Yeah, I love you know? the idea of him too, like trying to sell his book to season ticket holders. Oh god, <laughs> about leadership. Yeah, yeah, after he fires the best PR person in the league, he's going to talk about leadership. Yeah. Dude, fight me. <laughs> um, Eddie Hassan, yes, uh, to me it's easy as Whitney Merciless because that contract was so bad from the start. Yeah, and I, I mean he was complete, and again, like it all came down to. Open, push in the pocket so you have these wide looping pass rushes that hit home. That was what his entire game was based around. And whenever Houston lost Watt, they lost the entirety of that ability to do so. And because they put more pressure on DJ Reader, and Reader could no longer do that, and they completely removed Winnie Merciless's ability to do that. And also, the time of the signing was so stupid as well, too. Like to sign him at week 16, not have any idea what his market's going to be that spring. Um, and then the impact it's had this year, and like not being able to find another spot. A uh, former allocate that money elsewhere with a team with as bad a defense as it has was, you know, another very stupid thing that they did this year. <laughs> uh, next question fr- from Eddie is: So when you're down, do you still need to make a football move to avoid a turnover? And he's talking about Kenny Moore's weird kind of interception where he absolutely crushed Brandon Cooks and was able to take the ball from his lifeless body. I was I, I was pretty pissed off about that. I thought that was an extremely poor call by the refs. Look, I'm a I'm a big fan of refs. They do a really tough job. They do a great job at it. They get every once in a while they get one wrong. They got that one wrong. Mm-hmm. Cooks was down. That should not have been a pick. Yeah, well, and that kind of is a good example too of Cooks's like why you don't want him running routes like that. Like you don't want him running like interior routes or quick slants or anything because he's so small and he gets he takes hits like that in the interior of the field. And, uh, and like Cooks just hasn't been a deep threat at all, so he's stuck running routes like that instead because there's been no value of him as a vertical wide receiver unless he's going against Chase Claybrooks, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And once again, why? And then his concussion history on top of that. Exactly. Yeah, he went to the tent, but I guess he didn't have a concussion, so great. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not on the injured list right now with the concussion, so hopefully his head's okay uh, with the history that he's had. And the last question, I want to save Greg's question from another day um, as much as I had fun going to Outback Steakhouse this weekend because it's a very good <laughs> question. I want to make sure to, to save her and spend more time on it instead of make it an afterthought, you know. So I drank eight Fosters on Saturday. I don't think anybody's ever drank eight Fosters before in their entire life. Because uh, most people care about their lives more than that. 
Yeah, if it's one day of the year, you know. I would say, I will say this, if you ever get a Foster's, go with the lager. The lager is better than the ale. Oh, my God. Go with the, go with the blue cans to the green can. Uh, so our last question from Eddie is, have you ever heard of a coach icing the kicker with 115 left in the second quarter? I, I could I can't think of an example. No, nope. no, I've never seen it all before either. Nope. I love Romeo. Like I love what he's done this year, but yeah, he's not a head coach of the future at all. He's very cute. He's very comfortable. Um, he was a great defensive coordinator here. He's done a lot for this franchise. But yeah, like you know, he's he's not a head coach. But I do love like a lot of the fourth down decisions he made and fourth qu- fourth quarter decisions and two point conversions decisions. And then the stupid media had to go and like pester him about it, and he really has kind of turtled some from it. It's like. No, just why don't you praise him? Like, Romeo, I love that you're not a coward. You made the right decision by uh, going it for, for on fourth down in these situations, you know. And that was one of the things, too, about this game, that fourth down decision Frank Reich made. Uh, I mean, the run, the call was unbelievably stupid, that fourth and one call. But what people right. don't take into account whenever you go for in that situation is the field position. So now the other team gets the ball. They need 98 yards to score a touchdown. They never take into account that part of it. And it leads to, you know, Watson taking a safety in the end zone uh, and a two-point swing from there. And then give, and then after after that, you get good field position back the other end too, um, as long as you do like an adequate job on defense. Can I, I want to ask you a question, and I don't know what the answer to this is, but since this, there's been this whole new movement about going forward and forth down, have has a succession rate of fourth downs like gone down? Oh, the rate of converting? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse I, me. I can look that up and send you an email and double check. Yeah, because I'm really interested because what I've been noticing, and this is not statistic, you know, <clears throat> losing my voice all of a sudden. Anecdote is not the plural of data, mm-hmm. but it seems like a lot more fourth downs are being stopped. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean the models are based off of like these this percentage that are being converted that you know outweighs kicking field goals because of the likelihood that you're going to get one yard in, this, in these situations. But yeah, I mean I, I I still can't believe they ran like that tight end power play, you know. And it was a great play call by Anthony Weaver to send that double leg out blitz to both Adams and Cunningham uh, to snuff that out. But yeah, the play call I would just ran like a slant to T.Y. Hilton and just call it a day, you know. Yeah, tonight's Monday night game. The Bills and the 49ers both went forward on fourth down off the one. They both failed. And both failed. Somebody stopped a Josh Allen quarterback sneak? It wasn't. Uh, Again, okay. the play calling was terrible. Gotcha. I've never seen anybody stop and want a quarterback sneak before. No, they uh, they tried to do a left tackle eligible. Oh, gotcha. Uh, and that was just miserable <laughs> fail. To tie to Shecky or something. Yeah. That was some dude I'd never heard of. Huh. But he, yeah, he had a safety on him, so he tried to throw it to a tight end crossing. It was just, it was terrible. Uh, well, I can't wait to watch that game tomorrow sometime. <coughs> well, that's our show for a night. Next week, the Texans are playing the Bears at 12 o'clock. I guess we get Mitch Trubisky. Uh, who knows? It, it's a it's a hellhole up there in Chicago. And it was interesting. It's like, who was going to be the fraud, the phony that was going to fade away? Was it me Cleveland or Chicago or both or neither? And it turned out to be Chicago, and the, the Browns have been able to hang on still. Um, but we'll be back on next week to talk about the Bears Texans game. We'll be back on Lair this week to preview uh week fourteen. I don't have a, a cute idea for you know a show during the week or whatever. Uh but we'll still be here, you know, going through the rest of the seasons, the Texans toil um from four and eight to you know, to finish out two thousand twenty. So until next time, I'm at Weston. Thank you for listening to Radio. Thank you for being on time. Woo!
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.